We are starting today four-week series called All of Life. And uh, the guys, uh, Tim and Paul, called, I don't know how many months ago, and said, would you teach? And whenever they call, uh, I love to do this. So I said, yes. And then I said, what's the topic? And they said, well, your topic is going to be suffering. <laughs> and I said, uh, maybe polling the people as I'm doing this will be a good indication of what suffering really is. So we'll see. Uh, the premise of the series is this, is that when we come to Christ in repentance and faith, our life is transformed, and that relationship with Jesus infiltrates every aspect of our life. So we tried, I'm sure, to pick topics that would relate to most of us, uh, many of us, in this case, all of us. Sandy and I uh, yesterday went to a movie. I don't go to many movies. And uh, I drove this. Uh, we went down to the new AMC. It's been remodeled. It was like sitting in your, I mean, the chair goes back, and I don't know if I liked it or not, but it was comfortable. But the movie we saw was called Risen. It's that time of year when the studios put out the Christian films. It always feels to me like they, they're kind of sucking our money right out of us. Um, but this, I thought, was really good. And uh, it's the story of a Roman soldier who is present when Jesus is crucified. And then he is responsible when Jesus is buried to make sure that the tomb stays sealed. And then, here's a, here's a spoiler alert, Jesus rises and um, now, now, now this guy sees this and so he's sent out to investigate it. And, it, and it's a, it's, I just thought it was really kind of gripping from this guy's perspective. And there's this moment when he encounters the risen Christ. And he's sitting with Jesus on a rock. And Jesus says, do you have any questions? And he said, it was like this tender and sad moment at the same, I don't even, I don't even know what to ask. And then this guy's world is turned right side up. And, and the implication of this is that now means he can't live the way he used to live, and he'll live differently. And so that's true for all of us, and we think about it in some radical ways, but, but it, it really impacts the way we deal with everything in our life. So when the guys gave me the topic of suffering, I sat down with a legal pad, and, and I had notes all over, and suffering from tribulation of of persecution, all this, and I said, whoa, wait, wait, stop. Let's go to Webster. So here's Webster's definition of, of suffering, okay? Suffering, the pain that's caused by injury, illness, loss. It might be physical, mental, emotional pain. And I go back to my original statement. <clears throat> it's universal. I, I've noticed in this discussion on suffering and pain, we have a tendency to compare and contrast and minimize. That pain's not real. When, when, when you get the little kid that comes up and says, I have an owie, okay? Now, that's, that's suffering and pain at that three-year-old or four-year-old or, in my case, 66-year-old level. I have an owie. And it goes from there to, to serious, to accidents, to illness, 
to broken relationships, to rejection. I was at a high school basketball game this year, and there was a, there was a group of, I'm going to say, about 15 girls. And there was one girl, this is me on the outside judging. I don't know if this is true or not. But there was one girl that just clearly didn't fit. And it felt to me like they were telling her that the whole game. It's that kind of rejection. Or it's somebody that you said, for better, worse, richer, poor, sickness and health till death do us part, and now they say, I don't love you anymore. Or it's economic hardship. Or it's that friend that says, listen, we've got a business venture. We don't need all that legal documentation. We're buddies. We'll figure this out. Here was my summation. The list is endless. So, so I'm not going to try to create that situation of suffering for you. You, you. you know what they are in your life. But it's pretty good that it fits in that physical, mental, emotional, economic, relational Here's the assumption that I have, and I want you to know this going in, is that the Bible is true. That when we talk about suffering, or really any area of life, but the assignment today is suffering, is that what the Bible says affects how we view and how we see this. That, that I come to this book and I get my perspective on suffering from this. That's what I need is perspective. I was listening to a, a guy teach the other day. I won't tell you who it is because it will affect the way you, you, you view this. So I'm not going to tell you that. I'd rather have you spend the next uh, one, two, three, 33 minutes trying to figure it out on your own and be distracted. But he defined, he defined faith this way, and I really liked it. Faith is getting God's perspective on our situation. Faith, faith is me beginning to see my life or whatever the circumstance is from God's perspective. So that's what I want to try to do in, in the time that we have left. I, I sat down and as I thought about the topic, it raised all sorts of questions for me. But I tried to take it down into five pretty simple questions. And by addressing these, we're, we're at least going to attack the majority of what we're thinking. Number one, is suffering normal? Is this normal for the Christian? Number two, what's the cause of this? I'm a, I, I use the term, I'm a fix-it guy. Not, not like fix something that's broken. I call Sandy for that. But like a situation or a circumstance, I like to fix it. I was talking to a friend this week, we were talking about a, another guy we know, and he said he's a control freak. Okay, here, you, you guys write all this stuff down, write this down. Everybody's a control freak. Everybody wants to be in control. Well, what caused all this? Well, I need to figure out maybe the cause of it to figure out how to fix it. Here's the third thing, where's God? Here's this at varying levels of 1 to 10, catastrophic event in my life, where's God in the midst of this? N number four, what's the point here? Why is all this happening? And then, f for me, uh, uh, what do I do? How do I respond? So we're going to look at those five questions. Here you go. Here's the first one. Is this normal? And by that I mean, is this normal for the Christian 
I became a Christian in March of 1980. And uh, previously to that, my life was filled with the rebellion, sin, selfishness, filled with it. But, but, but in March of 1980, that changed. It's not to say that that went away, but my, my sin, I started to dial it back. Humanly thinking, God, if I was you, I could see if you wanted to zap me before, but why would you do that now? I'm on your team now. And one of the great things God did for me, and it's become more and more apparent in the last three or four months, is that God grounded me with great teachers. Larry Wright was my role model, my hero, my teacher. And, and he wasn't the only one, but he directed me toward other men who were solid teachers. And, and one of the things that they said over and over again, and Larry had great authority when he said it, is because I come to Christ in repentance and faith doesn't mean my path will be strewn with roses. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Larry had rheumatoid arthritis, and, and, and you didn't have to know him to know something was wrong with him physically. All you had to do was see him. He, he didn't have enough strength to, to reach. I mean, I don't know how to do this, so most of you can see it. To reach and open a car door, he didn't have the strength. So he'd have to back up to it to get enough leverage to pull it up. He was diagnosed with cancer. Literally, we were sitting at breakfast one day, and, and I said, Doc, something's going on in your neck. I mean, this is not normal. This is just growing, and it was a cancer. So they cut out the cancer. And I'm talking to him one day, and this lady came up, and Larry had had a, a new bout of something. I don't remember what it was. And the lady said to Larry, haven't you suffered enough? And Larry said, apparently not. <laughs> but it was normal. I mean, is, this, is this something that, that, that shouldn't happen to me? No, look at John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have peace tribulation. Now, now it would be helpful for you, uh, just for your own study, to, to try to figure out what, what's the first part of that uh, verse talking about. What are these things? If you look at John 14, 15, 16, 17, and you have a red-lettered Bible, the words of Jesus in red, it's almost all red-lettered. This is Jesus the night before he's crucified. And he's been telling them that he'll send them another. Look, look at chapter 14, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. Verse, four, verse 26 of chapter 14. I'll give you my helper. I leave you, verse 27, my peace. Chapter 15, verse 18. The world hates you because it hated me. It's going to hate you as well. Verse 26 of chapter 15, and the helper will come. And, and that theme is all the way through it. Verse 18, I'll send you a spirit of truth. Jesus says, I'm going to send you the spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
You're going to have God in this very room. There's that old hymn, in this very room. Well, it's beyond in this very room. It's in you. The Spirit dwells in you. Why? Well, one of the reasons is, in this world, you will have tribulation. Is it normal? Yes. In fact, look at James chapter 1, verse 2. Even stronger than normal, it's inevitable. Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, I want to take a look at that verse, but before I do, let me read you three alternate translations, really paraphrases. The Phillips says this, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brother, don't resist them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. The message Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Listen to this, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows your true colors. I'm going to show you what's really there. The, the New Living Translation. Brothers and sisters, when troubles uh, come of any kind... Consider it an opportunity for great joy. You know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So we're talking about, is this normal? I want to grab three words out of there for you. The first one is when. When you encounter various trials. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say that these trials are mandatory or optional. It says that these trials are inevitable. James is writing this letter to followers of Jesus, to you. When you encounter, the next word is various. It, it, literally, it means multicolored. They come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, there's a physical test. Uh, all, all, all you have to do is, is sit out by the doors and you see people and you can watch them come in and, and, you, and you see just physical challenges they have. You, you, you talk to people and, and they begin to talk about a brokenness in a relationship. You sit with guys and, and they talk about, I, I'm on the verge of losing everything. Now, let me flip this really quickly because there's a test you'll miss. For the test of adversity, there's also the test of prosperity. Thomas Carlyle, the, the historian, says, for every thousand people that pass the test of adversity, there's only one that can handle the test of prosperity. These tests come at you in all shapes and sizes, all, all, all magnitudes and scope, some little, some big. And then the, the third word is, is my word that sets it all up, knowing. When these inevitable trials come into your life of all shapes and sizes, know this. Know that that test produces endurance. Is it normal? Yeah, it's way beyond normal. It's for your own good. I, I know that doesn't sound right. But it's for your own good. Why? Because when you first entered into this relationship with Christ, you said, Jesus, I want to grow. I hang around with a lot of old people. Okay? 
and, and all they know, I want to finish strong. Okay, that's persevere. If you want to persevere, James tells us the key essential ingredient to perseverance are trials. So when you pray, God, God, please, I want to finish strong. He hears, let me suffer. Okay? You might rethink that prayer, retool it, get it back into the Greek and work it somehow, wordsmith it. Is it normal? Well, one more passage, 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you. Why do they come? For your testing. Don't think they're strange. Again, let me read you three of the paraphrases. Don't be bewildered or surprised when you go through fiery trials. Here's another one. Don't be astonished. Yet one more. When life gets real difficult, don't dump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. I like that. That's from the message. When these things come, don't be surprised. Expect them. Are these trials normal? Absolutely normal. For everyone in life, but for the Christian. Here's the second thing. What causes this? What, what causes this suffering? Well, you could lineless this, and we could fill up slides forever. I got, I don't know, four or five things here. Number one, all of suffering traces itself back to the fall. If you could do it, it's probably impossible, but if you could do it, read Genesis 1 and 2 with a fresh set of eyes. Skip Genesis 3 and read Genesis 4. And you're going to go, a big part of the puzzle's missing. Genesis 2 ends with Adam and Eve in the garden, naked, innocent, unashamed, Genesis 4 begins with strife, bitterness, anger, murder. What happened? Well, it's Genesis 3. Death, pain, grief, illness, loneliness, they all come. Genesis 3 explains you cannot understand the world around us without understanding Genesis 3. That's why man is the way he is. That's why toil now replaces work. Here's the second thing, our own sin. In uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan has confronted David about his sin. And David finally confesses, 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 13, David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, your, your sin, the Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Verse 14. However, because by this deed you've given occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that's born of this shall surely die. Some of the time, not all of the time, some of the time in our life, we reap what we sow as it relates to sin. You sin and there's consequence. You sin and there's discipline. God loves you. How do you know? He disciplines. When the, the girls were small, um, we, we, we spanked, well, we spanked one of them, didn't have to spank the other one. We spanked Sarah, <laughs> didn't have to spank Haley. She learned from Sarah. <laughs> well, we spanked Sarah, we disciplined Sarah, we disciplined Haley. 
But it's amazing. We didn't spank any other kid here in the church. And there were hundreds of them that needed it, okay? And I wanted to. But I didn't spank them. You know why? They weren't my kid. God loves you, and because he loves you, when you sin, sometimes, there's consequences. Here's the third thing. This suffering could be a result of man's inhumanity to man. War. Big scale. I uh, taught uh, at uh, a church downtown, New City Church. I taught there about a year ago. When I was done, uh, there were a couple that came up and uh, introduced themselves, and we talked. And she said, I said, what do you do? She said, I do the weather on, uh, I'm not going to get, it doesn't matter, one of the local channels. So I thought, okay, this is Sunday. I thought, well, First of all, we'll see if she's telling the truth. I assume she is, but let's check her out. So the next day, I turn on a local news. I never watch local news, okay? But I, I turn it on. So at 5 o'clock, Sandy gets up at 4.45, so I'm always up by 5. I get my little keg cup, and I sit down. It's, it's, it's one of the great, it's just, life is beautiful. And I sit down, but the weather doesn't come on until about 5.10, so I got to sit from 5 o'clock to 5.10 and watch local news, which every morning is so-and-so killed so-and-so, so-and-so robbed so-and-so. Last week, it was a couple in their mid-80s answered the door. It was a guy that said, I don't have any money. They gave him some money. He came back the next day. You know the story. I don't know if you follow it. Wanted more money, and, and he killed the 86-year-old guy. I did what you guys just did. There's a disgust in that. There's something about that. But it's man's inhumanity to man. Here's the fourth thing, natural disasters. Jamie Rasmussen is the senior pastor at Scottsdale Bible Church, and and I are friends. And uh, his son goes to Coe College in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Cedar Rapids is about... I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes north of Iowa City. Remember Jake Each on our staff. Jake is pastor of a church there in Cedar Rapids. And Jamie texted me the other day, and he's staying in downtown Cedar Rapids. And, and I did a conference there last year, year before. And they really have really refurbished, remodeled all downtown. Well, there was a giant flood that came through there like six years ago and just wiped out. They weren't ready for it. So there's natural disasters, hurricane, tornadoes. I don't know if you saw in the paper last week, but the, tur- the tornado that hit Tucson, did you see that? Did $15 million worth of improvements. It was amazing. <laughs> it was stunning what happened down there. I know, I know. I saw you and you inspired that. I have it written down, but I didn't know whether to use it or not. And then Satan's attack. You have a real enemy, Satan. And he has demons. And their desires to destroy you. And they'll attack you. So, So when we go, what causes this? Well, it's that. And you have nuances of that. Here's a big question. Where's God in all of this? I mean, here comes this God. He's supposed to love me. Supposed to care for me. 
We've been singing about it. Where is he in the middle of this? Is he just impotent? He can see this, but he's powerless in the middle of this? Does he not, this is, does he not care? Does he not care that I'm hanging out here and suffering? Is he in control with authority and he's just kind of a sadistic God? That's many people's view of God, that he's just sitting up there looking for people to destroy, that he's vengeful, that he's irrational. I, 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 I took two examples here, one from Job and one from the blind man in John 9. In Job, Satan comes and asks God for permission to test Job, and, and God gives it to him, puts some parameters around him, but he keeps moving him back, 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 back. And finally, Job has lost everything. And Job says, though he slay me, speaking of, I'll trust him. And his friends saying, listen, you're suffering because you're sin. And we never really get a conclusion. We just see that what God does is reveal himself to Job. Job finally hits a wall in there, I don't remember that, where he said, okay, I'm going to ask God about this. I want to ask you something, God. And God says, wait, hang on one minute, because I want to ask you. Where were you when I? How does the ocean find its limits? Where do we store the snow? And this goes on for chapters. And finally God said, all right, Job, what was it? And he said, you know what, I'm going I'm to email you these questions because that now might not be a good time so I might not always get it the blind man in John 9 it's a beautiful scene Jesus and the disciples come into town there's a man who's blind and the disciples said who sinned this man or his parents that was the traditional wisdom and Jesus said none but that you might become a display case for the work of God your suffering puts you in this incredible position where you become a display case for God's grace and mercy. What we see in these two illustrations is not God doesn't care and he's not loving. We see he's in control and that he's very involved and he's very intentional. And I wrote this, and then I wrote after it. That sounds so trite. God really cares. He's not removed. He's not distant. He's not lost track of you. It's, it's not that his capacity to monitor mankind was maxed out at 7 billion. He's God. And in the midst of this, he's there. I can't always figure this out, which in its own way becomes comforting because if I could, it doesn't seem like he'd be much of a God. Here's my, I don't know, third question. What's the purpose of all this? There's a popular phrase, everything happens for a reason. And the implications of that is that somebody must be in control, somebody must be all-knowing, somebody must be all-powerful, somebody must have these things under their jurisdiction. We use the term accident but what I think the scripture teaches is that there really isn't an accident in the sense that everything that happens in our life is either caused by or allowed by God. And one of the things it seems to me in the midst of suffering and pain and hardship and difficulty that even makes it worse would be the idea that there's no purpose to this. 
I have a list here of 22 reasons why we suffer. I'm going to kind of put them up there, and you can work your, work your way uh, through them. Number one, and boy, does suffering do this, it, it teaches us patience. I was teaching at Christ Community Church in Tucson, and uh, I don't remember the passage, but I know there was a suffering component to it. And I was talking about suffering and hurt, and I don't know, this was 20 years ago. And I needed to get back to teach Sunday afternoon up here. So they said when they put the service together, do you have anything? I said, if, they said, this sounds terrible, and I hate when speakers do it, but could you put a song after me so I can sneak out the back? And I said, I just can't. I gotta, I'm on a tight schedule. So they said, sure. So I finished. Out the back door I went. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Let me give you the lead up to this. this pop. I'm getting ready to teach, and I finish the first hour. And, and I say amen, and people are lined up 25 deep. They're, I've never seen a response. They're down the aisle. And the first guy comes up, and he said, uh, you got on a brown shoe and a black shoe. Twenty-five people, not moved by the message, but they got your shoes don't match. So I sneak out the back, and I'm coming down a hallway, and there's a lady, as I remember it, about 30, in a wheelchair, and what I, I, I'm sure is her caregiver, in my story, my narrative, her mom. And so I'm coming, and, and I, I see him, and, and so I say, how you doing? Good, doing good. That was a good message. I said, well, thank you. I'm talking about suffering and hardship, difficulty, challenges. Clearly, you know, you're living it. And she said, no, 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 it was really good. And her mom said, show him what you can do. Show him what you learned this week. And, and she, her mom lifted out a stick with a flat metal piece on the end with a hole in it. And she put it in the girl's mouth. The girl couldn't, couldn't use her hands. And she dropped that hole over the joystick, and she could move herself with her hand. And I said, wow. She said, I was the most impatient person in the world, and God is teaching me patience. Or the fruit is joy. Weeping lasts to the night. Joy comes in the morning. There's that breakthrough, kind of the runner's equivalent. By, those of you, by the way, those of you that ran yesterday, Phoenix Marathon, congratulations. We admire you. Uh, we felt the burden of eating for two all day yesterday, so <laughs> we were there for you. But you hit that wall. So There's kind of that wall that I break through. It produces maturity, knowing the test of our faith produces perseverance, maturity, it silences the devil. It, it, it teaches us. We understand through affliction, Psalm 119, through affliction it drives us to his word. Uh, let you look at the others here. Purifies us, makes us like Christ. Number nine, uh, 2 Corinthians 12. I wanted to sound presidential. Um, <laughs> What a joke this thing has gotten to be. 
But I'm not up here every week to tell you about that. To prevent us from sinning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. For God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ dwells in me. I'm content with weakness and insults and distress and persecution for Christ's sake. It it chastens us. It, It proves our sonship. That's what I said before. It reveals ourselves to ourselves. Well, one of the things that, that happened first hour is I'm trying to close this message it, is that I realized all this stuff makes sense and the vast majority of you are going to say amen and it's true. Here's the challenge. This is the classroom. That's the laboratory. It, 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 I'm a giant. I've watched guys, they can quote scripture, la-di-da. And along comes the slightest little hiccup, and their whole life is ruined. And I've watched people that I thought were so fragile, and along comes something that's beyond anything I can comprehend, and God just fills them with the Spirit, and they rise to the occasion, and you see yourself. Does it help our prayer life? I've been at the oncologist when the report comes back, and he says, everything is clear. And you know what we say? Where should we eat? I've also been there when he says, hey, this is serious. And all of a sudden, the next phrase is, let's pray. We become an example. We qualify ourselves as counselors. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort other in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. There's something powerful about saying, I, I've been there. The, the church was very small. We were on Dobson, small numerically, I'm saying maybe 150 people. So statistically, what I'm about to tell you is like almost impossible. We had three families in a period of six months that lost a baby either right before birth, at birth, or right after. Really hard. For I'm not trained for that. I didn't prepare for any of that. And I remember being at that, with that first lady and her husband, and I, I kind of just waddled through it. The second one, I was in exactly the same position. And then all of a sudden, the lady, the first lady came in and she said to the lady something I could never say. I know how you feel. All of a sudden, you have a story to tell about the grace and mercy and magnitude of God. It it furthers our witness. It, it, It gives us insight into God's nature. That's Job 42.5. Job, after all this testing, says, before I heard about you, now I've seen you. It drives us to God. You, you can read that list. Probably number 22 is the overarching umbrella for all of this. It shows the sovereignty of God. And we know God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. 
So how do I respond to this? I was at uh, our Arcadia campus uh, years ago, and uh, one of the guys were teaching, and they were closing up, and they said, let me give you four points. And, and I thought, these are really good. I can't remember what he was talking about, but I thought, this works for many, many, many things, and it certainly works here. Number one, when that suffering, hardship, difficulty comes, accept it. It's a reality. It does hurt. You don't have to be the Christian superhero that says, oh, it's nothing. It hurts. It hurts physically. It's hard. It's hard, to, it's hard to be the caregiver in that. Sometimes way tougher than the one that's going through it. And then you feel bad that you feel guilty about feeling guilty. It is just, this is, it's real. Number two, think theologically. That's why we come back to the scripture. There's a phrase. I don't hear it as much anymore. But you hear it all the time. When somebody would say, I'm having a real difficulty, I'm having a real challenge, whatever it is. And then somebody would say, it is what? What it is. That may be one of the most dismissive, damaging things you can do. I'm sitting here in the middle of hurt, not me in this. I'm sitting in the middle of hurt and pain, and your answer to my pain is, well, it is what it is. Bad roll of the dice. I guess that's how it goes. So so I've kind of changed that, expanded it. It is what it is, and he is who he is. I need to think theologically. The problem with our theology so often, it doesn't ascend high enough and let God be God or descend low enough and put us in the middle of our sin, and all of a sudden this reveals us to ourselves, and we need to think and gain God's perspective on our situation. Here's the third thing. God, remember what God has done. Remember what he's done. You've been this place before. You've seen this movie. You've seen his faithfulness. You've read about it. That's the beauty about reading, especially Christian biographies, stories, your own story. One of the things I regret, and that list is of 48 million miles long, is that I never journaled. I've, I've taken a couple of runs at it, so I'm being a total hypocrite here. But if I acknowledge it, maybe it's not as hypocritical. The power of journaling and going, what was I thinking when? To go back and to see, to remember what God has done. And then to trust him. You don't need to turn there. I'll just give you the reference. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul says, we're afflicted in every way. We're perplexed, we're persecuted, and we're struck down. He he talks about being beaten, stoned, imprisoned. And at the end of this, he said, but here's the lesson. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. 
Martin Luther writes this, until a person experiences suffering, he cannot know what it means to hope. But part of the, uh, beyond the physical or the emotional, the, the difficulty of suffering is all of a sudden the uncertainty that comes with it. Well, there is a certainty. The certainty is that God's in control in the midst of all of this. That it's not an accident. That it might be beyond your comprehension, but that's okay, you're not God. You don't need to figure this out. You know these things are true. So here's the catch-all. Here's my basic go-to in the midst of this, Psalm 46. Here's what I need to do. Be still and know that I'm God. 